Good morning. Welcome to uh, South Bay Community Church. Um, tomorrow is Veterans Day, and so I want to take, take a moment right now to recognize some very important people in our church. And so um, I want to ask, if, if you are a veteran and you served in the armed forces, would you stand up? And if you are active duty and currently serving in the armed forces, can I have you guys stand up so we could recognize you guys? Yeah, thank you guys so much. Look around the room and, and let's truly appreciate these people from the bottom of our heart. Actually, remain standing. Remain standing, please. Stay. I, know, I know this is a little embarrassing. But um, no, you, you deserve it. So thank you, guys. Remain standing. And then, and then any spouses of veterans or active duty, would you also stand up? Because you two are just as heroic, holding down the fort. And going through what you go through, watching the kids, we appreciate you too. Thank you guys so much. You can be seated. I always love the picture of people who lay down their lives and give up their lives, their, their freedom, their time, um, their time at home, you know, to, to serve us, this nation. So thank you guys so much. I want to get into today's message. My name is Greg, one of the pastors here, and um, as I start, I, you know, I apologize if I don't seem prepared. It's been a crazy week. Um, so I, um, let's see, I don't know if you know this about me. I went to West High um, as a high school student. Actually, it's over there. <laughs> Um, and when I, when, um, when, I, when, when I was at West High, I was in this club. It was a, it was, um, a Christian club. They called it New Life. And, um, like, it was, it was December. No, it was March. It was March. We had a, um, a leadership training for all the leaders of the club. And, um. I remember we, we gathered together and um, different leaders, different schools, and like one of the tr the training sessions, it was on just communication, public speaking, and um, when I was listening to this guy, it, it was honestly like, it was so hard for me to listen to him. Um, he... He just never made eye contact with the people he was speaking to. Um, like, he spoke very slowly. Um, every other word um, was like a filler, like, um, and like, <laughs> and as I listened to him, it was so hard for me to listen to him. And I remember thinking, this guy is breaking every rule of public speaking. And I'm thinking, this guy is either a really good actor, and he's showing us as an audience what it's like when you break every rule of speaking and what the audience feels when you do. But here's the thing, he never broke out of that character if he was acting. He, he, never, he just finished his talk and he sat down and that was it. He never said, just kidding, ha-ha, that's what you shouldn't do. That was it. So I don't know if that was really him 
or if it was an act. And I just remember thinking as I was listening to him, this is the wrong person for this job. This, this guy is the wrong person to be teaching this session. But now that I think about it, on hindsight, he was the perfect person to teach that lesson. Whether he meant it or not, I still remember it to this day. This was more than 20 years ago. And I still remember the very things he said and how he taught it. And I learned what I should not do and how I should speak publicly. He was the perfect person for the job. And I realized that God sometimes uses the wrong person for the job. Sometimes God delights in using the wrong person for the job. I've seen God use a little shepherd boy go up against the mightiest Philistine warrior. Wrong person for the job. I've seen God use a little boy with five loaves of bread feed 5,000 men and 5,000 women. I've seen God use a man like Moses who had a problem with his speech become the very mouthpiece for almighty God in front of an entire nation, the nation of Israel. So sometimes God will use the wrong person for the job so that at the end of the day, all we can conclude is it was simply God. Amen? It was simply God. Well, today we're in a new series called Simply God. Simply God, and this is a, a, a series where we're, we're going to be exploring the attributes and the characteristics of our God. And we've done a series like this two years ago. And even in that series, God is so big and incomprehensible, we can never wrap our minds or our hands around him. Even that nine-week series barely scratched the surface of who our God is. And so we're in this series, Simply God, we're going to look at more attributes, more characteristics of our God. We're going to barely scratch that scratch, but our prayer is that at the end of every message, we would be simply in awe of him. That we would just sit there and just marvel at how big and how great and beautiful our God is. That we would simply be in awe and our only proper response is to worship. We're going to talk about our God. And today I want to start off by talking about the compassion of our God. How compassionate he is. And you'll see that God used the wrong person for this job. Not me, this guy named Jonah. Jonah, no, no I, I am the wrong person for this job, but in the Bible, this guy named Jonah, the most uncompassionate guy you can find to make known the compassion of God. Would you guys pray with me as we open up the scriptures and come before him? Father God, we just ask that you would really open up our hearts and our eyes to see you. God, I thank you for any friends or guests that we have today, especially any who do not yet know you personally. Maybe this is their first time in the church. Lord, I pray that, God, you would just show yourself, that you would reveal to us just how beautiful you are, every single one of us. Leave us in awe of you, God. Lord, I truly am the wrong person for this job, and I thank you for that. I pray that at the end of this time that we would see no one but you, Lord, that we would just see a perfect, powerful, majestic, compassionate God. So, Lord, this is your time. Make it yours. Use me in any way you want. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you guys have ever been so emotionally moved by something that you could literally feel it. Like you could physically feel it. 
This past week, um, my friend posted a post on his Facebook. This was the day after uh, Halloween. And he posted a picture of his son and, and his son's friend, Omar. And here's what he wrote uh, about this. He said, our hearts are hurting with grief today. Yesterday, we went trick-or-treating with our friends Joseph and Rye and their son Omar. Omar and Cody are close to the same age and are like peas in a pod, so happy, affectionate, and full of energy. Cody was Woody, and Omar was a snake. Cody would say, there is a snake in my boot. And Omar would say, there is a Woody in my boot. And they would laugh uncontrollably. After we parted ways, the three were all hit by a DUI driver while walking home. As of last night, all three, Joseph, Rye, and Omar, have passed away. I don't know how to process this tragic loss of life. We are so very sad, and we're praying for their families. When I read that post, like something inside of me just sunk. Like I could feel it, physically feel it. Like my stomach just dropped, my stomach turning. I found myself short of breath just trying to breathe normally, my heart starts beating, and something deep inside of me was going on. And I share that because there's this very interesting word in the Bible. It's the word splachnos, the Greek word splachnos. And the word splachnos literally refers to your inner organs. If you want to get specific, it's your bowels, it's your intestines. And what's interesting about this word splachnos is in the English, it's often translated as compassion. Compassion. Because in the ancient times, people believed that, that the intestines were the seed of our emotions, our most passionate emotions. That, that they originate and they, they sit here. When you feel intense anger, when you, when you feel passionate love when you feel tender mercy it's all here and that's why you feel that feeling in your stomach whether you're happy and full of joy or you're sad and, and full of grief splachnos there's a story in the bible where there's two two women they, they were living in the same house both of them had little babies and in the, in the middle of the night one of the moms rolls over her child without even knowing it killing the baby and so in the middle of the night, this, this mom takes her, her dead baby, exchanges it with this other mom's live baby, and in the morning, they start fighting over whose baby that belongs to. The Both of them are saying, that's my baby, that's my baby, and, and they're fighting over this live baby, and so they call upon this wise man to, to settle. His name was Solomon, King Solomon, the wisest man in the kingdom. And, and, and King Solomon comes and he says, oh, this is easy. Let me settle it. Get me a sword. Get me a sword. And he gets the sword. He's like, I'll just cut the baby in half and you guys can both have the baby. It's like, really, Solomon? You're, you're the smartest man in the kingdom? You call that smart? No, it's not smart. It's brilliant. Brilliant. Why? Because as he's about to cut this baby in half, one of the mom goes, no, 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 no. Don't kill the baby. G give it to her. Don't kill the baby. And what does King Solomon do? First Kings 3.26, it says this. 
The woman whose son was alive was deeply moved. Check out those two words, deeply moved. Out of love for her son and said to the king, please, my lord, give her the living baby. Don't kill him. So what does King Solomon do? Instead of giving her the baby, he gives it to the one who stopped him. Why? Because only a real mom would be filled with real compassion. She would do anything to keep her baby alive. And so he saw something deeply move her. A literal translation, another version says she was moved with compassion. And so compassion is this picture when when something moves inside of you, you move. Why does the Holy Spirit choose to breathe into Scripture this word splach? Now, such a weird word, the bowels, the intestine. Well, if you don't mind me getting a little blunt with you, when something moves in your, in your intestines, in your stomach, what's the reality we've all experienced? You, you can't just sit there. Like, you got to do something about it. You take action. You get up. You pace around. You take medicine. You hunch over. Or you just got to get it out of you. But it always moves you to action. In the Bible, in the Gospels, when Jesus was moved with compassion, it always resulted in action. It resulted in in the healing of the sick. It resulted in provision of food. It resulted in the deliverance of a demoniac. It resulted in in, in healings and and miracles. Remember John chapter 11, Jesus was so moved with compassion. What did Jesus do? John 11, 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. And that resulted in the healing of a dead man. Compassion always produces action. You know when you feel bad about something but don't do anything about it? You know what we call that? Feeling bad. You simply feel bad. But real compassion, at least godly compassion, is when it spurs us into action. Now, as followers of Christ, we're going to experience God's compassion in a couple ways I want to share with you this morning. The first one is pretty easy. So it's this. If you want to write this down, God will demonstrate his compassion to us. God will compassion demonstrate his compassion to us. So in the book of Jonah, God calls this man, Jonah, to go and preach to the city of Nineveh, the greatest city of antiquity, this huge capital city of the powerful Assyrian Empire, Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was infamous. They were notorious for being just evil, wicked, wretched, ruthlessly violent. They they were known to take their captives, their enemies, and impale them. They were known to gouge out the eyes of their living captives. They were known to amputate their hands and amputate their feet. They're known to to flay their enemies and use their enemy's skin as wallpaper on the walls, and they would wrap the pillars of the temples. These people were known to to take hooks, hook them through the nose of their enemies, their opponents, and drag them through the dirt out of the city. Who were some of the Ninevites' enemies? Israel. The very children of, of God. And so if there's anybody who doesn't deserve the love and the mercy and the kindness of God, it's the Ninevites. It's the Ninevites. And yet check this out. Something moves in the bowels and intestines of God 
toward these people who are so far away from him. And it moves him into action. So he grabs this guy, Jonah, and he says, Jonah, I need you to go reach these people. Jonah, I need you to be the vehicle of my compassion. I need you to be the megaphone of my mercy. I'm telling you right now, church, he's the wrong guy for this job. He is the wrong guy. This guy is the most uncompassionate guy toward the Ninevites. This guy just doesn't like them. He hates them. He hates them. They're the enemies of Israel. So what does he do in response? Jonah chapter 1 verse 3 says this. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go down with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. So here's Jonah blatantly ignoring God. Now he's trying to get away from God. He's trying to get out of the presence of God. And so he runs away to a city about 3,000 miles away. And as he's on the ship, because he's traveling by ship, all of a sudden the storm comes and starts rocking the ship to and fro. People are freaking out. People are, are fearing for their lives, and, and they're trying to figure out what to do and what's going on, and all fingers are pointing to Jonah. This storm is happening because of this dude right here. So what does Jonah say? Well, he recognizes it's me. This is happening because of me. He says, just throw me overboard. If I die, you'll live. And so what do they do? They chuck them overboard. They take them and chuck them overboard. And now, here's where I want to slow us down a little bit. Because I know some of us grew up learning the story of Jonah in Sunday school. And we quickly gloss over the part that he's in the sea. And God brings a, a, a big fish to swallow him. But stop and think about how dead this man is at this point. Have you ever thought about being in the middle of the sea? And you don't know how far the bottom is. And you don't know what's underneath you. I want to show you a video that I found of a woman who fell over the rails of a cruise ship, just to give you a sense of what it's like. Check this out. Sarah Kirby is one of the few people in the world who knows what it's like to fall off a cruise ship and live to tell about it. In 2012, she slipped over her stateroom balcony. I felt hopeless, helpless and hopeless. It's pitch black out there. There's no land, there's no lights. Infrared cameras captured her fall. She actually ricocheted off a lifeboat before hitting the choppy waters off the coast of Jamaica. Sarah was badly battered, but somehow managed to tread water for 90 minutes before she was rescued. I kept praying, praying to God, please don't let me die out here. Please don't let something eat me like a shark. Our Megan Alexander found out how terrifying being alone in the middle of the ocean can be. I have a little bit of light coming from our camera, but Sarah had nothing. Turn off the light. This is what she was dealing with, pitch black for two hours. The only way she could be spotted in the dark is with infrared binoculars. Here's with and then without them. There is no way she would be found without the technology. So I just want to give you a sense of what it's like to be there in the middle of the sea. You're, you're dead. I mean... For Jonah, no one had any infrared, no, nobody's trying to say, and even if they saw him, they weren't trying to throw a life vest out to him. They're the ones who threw him out there. They're not trying to save this guy. And so he's as good as dead. So can I, can I share with you what the story of Jonah is about? 
This story is a story of God's deep compassion. His compassion for people who are far away from him because of their sinfulness and and wretchedness. People who are sinful and wretched in very nature. That's what the story is about. Jonah thinks that that's a description of the Ninevites. But who's the one who's trying to get far away from God right now? Who's the one trying to run away from God's presence? Who's the one trying to flee God? And so God could have totally left Jonah to die in the sea. He could have left him alone and let him die because Jonah was trying to get away from God himself. He was trying to be apart from God. But let me show you the compassion of God. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 says this. Now the Lord provided, would you circle that word provided? The Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So here's Jonah. He is disobedient. He is rebellious. He is stubborn. He is sinful. And he is uncompassionate. And yet God in his compassion moves toward Jonah God in his compassion relentlessly pursues this man who is far away from God. He is relentless in his pursuit of sinners. God's grace chased him down. Jonah in his self-righteousness thinks that it's the Ninevites who are far away from God. God used the Ninevites to show Jonah that it's Jonah who's far away from God. And it took, took this call for him to see the wretchedness in his own heart. And yet the God of compassion pursues him. And he demonstrates his compassion toward this man, Jonah, by providing for him deliverance. Providing for him rescue. Some of us don't realize how far away from God we were. All of us were far away from God because of our sinfulness and our wretchedness. And some of you guys are thinking, that's not me. I'm pretty good. And I want to say, compared to a pure and holy God, no, you are sinful and wretched. And yet, like God provided for Jonah deliverance, he has provided for you deliverance, rescue to Jesus Christ, his son. And it's with that gospel truth right now, I want us to hold tight to that, cling to that from the very core of our beings Because when we realize that he has rescued us from the waves of death and the wages of sin, then it's going to help us in this next aspect of compassion I want to share with you. Would you guys write this down? Number two, this is the harder one. God will develop his compassion in us. Yeah, God will demonstrate his compassion to us, but now God will develop his compassion in us. Now imagine... Sunday morning, you come to church, here I am, and I'm preaching the gospel this morning. And I, and I preach the gospel, and I say, if anybody wants to turn from your sin and receive the amazing grace of God and the mercy of God, give your life to him, and you'll be forgiven. You'll be set free, and you'll have eternity with him. Does anybody want to turn your life to Christ right now? And let's say hundreds of hands go up, like hundreds of hands. And I'm just like, Taken aback, I'm just shocked. Tears are falling. Hands are being raised up. 
Chains are being broken. Lives are being renewed. There's a revival going on, and everybody wants to embrace this grace of God. And as all these hands go up, I say, okay, well, let's pray. God, just kill me. Are you serious? Like, you know these people are sinners. There are people here who have cheated on their spouse. There are people here who have, who have talked behind people's back. There's people here who have talked behind my back. There's people here who are just shady and they're greedy business people. There are people here who, who, who talk foul and talk crude. Really, God? And in a moment like this, just because they turn to you, you're going to save them and show them forgiveness? Just kill me. This is why I totally didn't want to do this, God. Amen. Well, let's rise and worship him now, church. Would you, like, would you be like, what? The schizo pastor. You just <laughs> shared his grace with us, and now you're angry that, you, that they came to embrace his grace. This is the story of Jonah. Because Jonah goes, God provides this fish to protect him and deliver him. Three days later, God provides rescue from that fish. He comes out, and Jonah could do nothing else but go to the Ninevites. And so he goes, and he preaches the, the, the good word of God. And as he goes, they actually start responding. Here's how the king responds. Jonah chapter 3, verse 8 and 9. The king says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And so the Ninevites are actually listening to the words of Jonah. They actually respond and they repent and Jonah is furious. Look how Jonah responds. Jonah chapter 4 verse 1 and 2. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah hated the Ninevites, and so he's upset at God for simply being God. For being the gracious and compassionate God that I knew you were. I knew you would do this, God. And so they start repenting and Jonah just leaves and he goes to the east side of the city and he sits there and he just watches from a distance in disgust to see what the outcome would be. What's going to happen with these people? Jonah chapter 4 verse 6 and 8. As he's sitting there it says, then the Lord God provided. Circle that word provide in your Bible. He provided a leafy plant. And made it grow over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah is very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided, circle that word provided, a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided, circle that word provided, a scorching east wind. And the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die. And said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Why, why did I have you circle that word provided three times? 
God provided a plant for shade, which is a great thing, praise God. But then he provides a worm to eat the plant. And then he provides a scorching east wind so that sun is now blazing on his head. Why, why is this God providing? How is it God providing? Because he's providing compassion to Jonah. He's providing compassion to Jonah. How is he providing compassion? By developing that compassion in him. God could have been pronouncing condemnation, but he chose to provide compassion. How? Through a life lesson. Through a trying experience. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to develop compassion in you. And so here's, here's the lesson God was giving him. Jonah 4, verse 10 and 11. Then the Lord said, Jonah, you had compassion on the plant for which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished. Should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between the right and the left hand, as well as many animals? And so God is showing Jonah through this hard lesson what compassion looks like. I care, Jonah. I care about you, but I also care about these people who are spiritually lost. And so in the story, God's compassion is demonstrated in the salvation of the Ninevites, but is also demonstrated in the sanctification of Jonah. Compassion everywhere in the salvation of the Ninevites, but also in the sanctification of Jonah. And, and God, as a father, lovingly, gently, graciously keeps trying to sanctify his heart. When we say sanctify, I'm talking about God wanting to do a deep work in us to make us more like our holy God. He's doing a work of sanctification in his people. And for any of us who bear the image of God, you as image bearers, God wants to develop his character in you. Specifically, he's going to want to develop his compassion in you so that you reflect our God. And so sometimes he's going to do it in many different ways. Sometimes it's going to be easy, right? Maybe you'll hear it through a message, right? Last week, Shalanda and Adrian, who are here today, they got to share with you their story of, of their marriage and the struggles in their marriage and how sometimes addiction has, has presented its challenges. And as we saw their story, many of us had compassion. God was developing compassion in us for them, right? Or sometimes God's going to develop compassion in you by sending you to people, I've talked to so many people who say, I'm not going to go on missions. I just don't have a heart for missions. I say to that, well, good. Now go. Go. Why? Because watch what God does to your heart when you start seeing these people and serving these people face to face. When you get down in the dirt with them, realize God is going to develop compassion in you. If you don't have a heart for missions, don't worry. Just go. Watch him do that to you. But sometimes it's a lot more difficult than that. Because sometimes God's going to develop compassion in you by first showing you compassion and first comforting you. Why is that difficult? Why is that hard? Well, because that implies that that means you're going to have to go through the trial first. If you want to experience the compassion and comfort of God, sometimes you have to first go through the trial and tribulation. Look what 2 Corinthians chapter 1 says. 
2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 through 7 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles. Why? So that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. You can pause right there. When we suffer, our natural reaction, isn't it true, that our heads drop, it sinks down, and we say, why, God, why me? Like, why me? Why now? When we should be raising our head, according to this passage, and saying, God, who else? Like, who else? Who else is going to go through what I just went through, who will suffer the way I just suffered? Who else do you want me to pour into and share comfort with, the same comfort I received from you? Perhaps God in his compassion is allowing you to go through a life experience, go through your trial, your tribulation, your suffering. Why? To equip, equip you to prepare you for ministry ahead so that one day as his compassion is developed in you, you will now be a a vehicle of compassion to those around you. So on uh, Thursday, I was holed up in one of the kids' crew rooms. During the week, it's quiet over there, and I'm trying to work on this message. I got a late start, so I'm, I'm in that room trying not to be distracted. It's quiet, and all of a sudden, silence was broken. Two people barge into the room. It was uh, Steve and Clovia. I don't know if you guys are here, but this is Steve and Clovia. They didn't know I was there, so we freaked each other out. And uh, they, they come in, and they're just looking for the leftover candy from uh, Harvest Festival. And, and they told me they were going to go and bring this and donate it to some people who could use it. And then as she was just getting her stuff, Clovia just said to me, she said, yeah, tonight I'm going to be going to um, a vigil. She says, there's a vigil of a family that was killed in Long Beach. And that caught my attention. I, I said, that, that family of three that was hit by the drunk driver? She said, yeah, I'm going to be there at the vigil tonight. And it, it was crazy because I, I had already planned to share that story with you guys. But she was sharing with me that she volunteers her time with this group called New Hope Grief Support. And she gives up her own time. She gives up evenings to go and bring comfort to those who are grieving, who have lost loved ones. This family is a, is a Muslim family, so the community surrounding them was most likely going to be Muslim, and yet, yet this Christian woman and, and her husband are going to bring comfort and compassion in the name of Jesus. Now, I love, I love that Clovia gets the gospel and Steve gets the gospel, and I love that so many of you here, you get the gospel too. I, I love that there's so many of you, if you saw somebody who did not have a home, you would love to open up your home to them. I love that there's so many of you, if you saw a brother or sister who, who was out of money and couldn't make rent, you would open up your wallet for them. I love that there's so many of you, if you heard of somebody suffering in the hospital, you would clear your calendar you would reschedule, give up your time to be at that person's side. I've seen that in so many of you. I love it that you are gospel-driven. You'll lay down your life for another. And some of you guys are willing to go so far to make sacrifices, to even suffer in order to minister to someone who's suffering. I've seen that in so many of you guys. Now let me ask you this question. 
What if the timeline was reversed? What if instead of seeing someone suffering and then responding to them and being willing to suffer to minister to them, would you be willing to suffer and make the sacrifice if the person you were going to minister to wasn't even going to suffer until five years down the road? Or what if they weren't going to suffer until 10 years down the road? Would you still make that sacrifice now? Knowing that you're going to minister to them, it'll just come after you. Sometimes God will give us the trial first, the tribulation first, so that he can develop compassion in us so that we can minister to them tomorrow. Clovia shared with me, I called her on Friday just to talk with her and, and just hear her story a little bit more. And she shared with me, she said I could share with you guys today, that she knows what it's like to lose a, loss, uh, to lose a loved one. She lost a, a, a grandson to suicide. And so she says, I know the grief and I, I know the loneliness in that. And it makes me wonder what motivates her to, to go to people she does not know to bring comfort to them, to support them in their time of, of grieving and sorrow. And I think it's because she's experienced the divine comfort of her God. She knows what the compassion of God looks like. She's been through that trial, and now she goes. I want to show you a picture of Johnny Erickson Tata. Some of you guys know who she is. She's just, she has a huge voice in our world today. Johnny Erickson Tata, you got to know this. She grew up just so athletic and so active. She loved to play tennis. She loved to go horseback riding. She loved to go swimming. In fact, she loved it so much she was at the Chesapeake Bay with her friends and they were jumping in and, and she didn't realize how shallow it was and it resulted in just this tragic accident. And she became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulder down. Can't move anything from the shoulder down. And she shares how that brought her into deep depression. Two years ago, you guys know I had a surf injury and it messed up my hearing. And that messed me up because I knew my life was going to be somewhat different now. And I, I, I went through a bit of depression. You guys, my wife, she see me moping around. She says, you're depressed, aren't you? And I have to admit, there, there was a lot of sadness in me. And that's just a little change in my hearing. I get it when she says, I was in deep depression. Her life will never be the same. She experienced anger at God. She explored ways to end her life. She talks about how she explored assisted suicide. How can I get somebody to, to help me end my misery? And yet she shares how even through this challenge, she was met with the compassion and the comfort of God. And God grabbed a hold of her heart. He revealed to her his purpose now she started a ministry called Johnny and Friends, and it's to minister to other people who are disabled. And one person she had a profound impact on, from his very lips, his testimony is, one person who has a, a profound impact on me is Johnny Erickson Tata. His name is Nick Vujicic. If you know him, he was born without arms and legs. We had a privilege of having him here at our church. He was speaking to a bunch of pastors and leaders, and he shared how he had deep anger and depression because of the bullying he experienced being born without arms and legs. 
He talked about how, I remember we were sitting in that room over there, a bunch of pastors around the table eating lunch, and he shares how, how he tried to kill himself by drowning himself in a tub. Praise God that he failed. Because God grabbed a hold of his heart. God used people like Johnny Erickson Tata to speak into him to, to show him God's compassion and purpose on his life. God's given him a ministry. Today he speaks to over 830 million people with the gospel. And he was sharing with us, he, he said uh, one of the most powerful speaking engagements he had, it was actually in Anaheim in Orange County. He was at a church. He's on a stage. He says as he's speaking, he says in the very back of the room, in the last few rows, there was this young mom and, and husband, and they held up their 19-month-old son. And he says, the moment I saw that, I just started getting woozy. He said, I just started getting dizzy. Something was going on inside of him. He said, it was the first time I had ever seen another human being born without arms and legs just like me. He said, in that moment, I knew my purpose in life. Here's a picture of Daniel Martinez and, and Nick and Nick said he went and approached the family, and he got to grow up with Nick as mentor, role model. Nick became very good friends with him and was able to walk with him. And as Daniel grew up, he went through the bullying at school. He went through the anger and the depression, and he had suicidal thoughts. But all along the way, Nick was there to, to bring comfort and encouragement. In fact, because of... Nick's platform, he was able to arrange an assembly at Daniel Martinez's school to speak against the impact and the pains of bullying. Why in the world? Why in the world would God allow Johnny Erickson Tata, who had a great life ahead of her, to have this tragic accident and cause her to become a quadriplegic? What if it was to save lives? What if it was to to speak to the Nick Vujicic's of the world. And why would God allow Nick to be born without arms and legs and bring him into, why even do that, God? What if it was to save lives? What if it was to save the Daniel Martinez's of the world? Brothers and sisters, whatever you're going through in life right now or whatever you'll go through tomorrow, I, I want to challenge you to let God bring you through that. Let God provide for you. Because listen, whatever you go through is so much bigger than you. It's so much bigger than you. God has a ministry to reach people who are far away from him. And God wants to develop his compassion in you. So would you let God do this in you? Sometimes God needs you to go through the trial first, the tribulation first, so that he can comfort you first. When I counsel people, I always, I always tell them, listen, your pain is not meaningless. God will never waste a second of your pain. Your pain is not in vain. Every millisecond of your suffering is meaningful. So let God bring you through this in his compassion. Let him provide for you as he did for Jonah. You may never be a preacher behind a pulpit. But child of God, you will go through trials and tribulation. And you may not be a preacher behind a pulpit, but I'm telling you, you are a minister in the making. 
every single follower of Christ. You are a minister in the making. You will go through trial and tribulation, but let God use you tomorrow. Because I guarantee you, somebody will go through what you're going through. And I may not be able to speak into that. But you uniquely can. You can. So God may be showing you today how agonizing it is to go through anxiety. God may be showing you today how debilitating it is to go through depression. God may be showing you today how isolated it can feel being single. God may show you the pains of, of an eating disorder. God may show you the, 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 the difficulty, the challenge of being unemployed. But embrace that because God is embracing you. Hold tight because your compassionate father, he sees you. And if God is full of compassion, and I know he is, he's going to move. He's going to move. He's going to pursue you. He doesn't just feel bad for you. He'll take action. And he's going to provide healing. He'll provide comfort like he did for Jonah. It's so much bigger than you. 2 Corinthians 1, 6, and 7. I'll close off this passage. But Paul finishes off his thought. He says, look, if we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you'll share in our comfort. And so Paul has this totally unselfish view of what he's going through. And instead of having his head down and saying, God, why me? Why me? He has his head up saying, God, who else? Who else? Instead of having his head down, now why me? Now, now why? He has his hands up saying, now use me, God. Use me to comfort them with the comfort you've given me. The story of Jonah uh, demonstrates the compassion of God. And I see this man in this boat, and the storm is raging, and people are, are freaked out because their lives are at stake. I see another man who was in a boat when the storm started to rage, and people freaking out because their lives were at stake. His name is Jesus. And as Jonah is in this boat and he comes to this conclusion, if you want to live, just throw me over. Because if I die, you live. If I perish, you survive. And in the same way, Jesus was thrown. He was thrown onto the cross. He was thrown onto the cross. He was thrown into the waves of God's wrath. Tim Keller calls them the ultimate storm, the ultimate waves, the waves of sin and death. And here's what Tim Keller says. He says, if the sight of Jesus bowing his head into the ultimate storm is burned into the core of your being, you will never say, God, don't you care? Like if, if at the very core of our being, we realize that, that Jesus was thrown into the ultimate storm, the only storm that can actually sink us and kill us, the waves of sin, the wages of sin. If we get that Christ went under those waves for us and went through the ultimate storm, why in the world should we think that he will abandon us in the smaller storms of life? 
He will not. And if God can rescue Jonah from the darkness after three days, and if, if God can rescue Jesus from the darkness of the tomb after three days, then brothers and sisters, I know God can rescue you from the darkness. He will. And God will demonstrate his compassion to you so that he can develop his compassion in you so that you can be a vehicle of his compassion to the world around you. Amen? Hold tight, church. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you so much for the reminder that as lonely and as isolated as it may feel, I'm not alone. I have a God who can actually do something about it. That more than anyone around me, there's a God who is able. And I thank you, God, that you have compassion. Because your compassion moves you to action and it moves you to provide and moves you to move in my life. And Lord, I just pray over every person here, Lord, that, that we would be long-suffering, that we would be willing to go through it, knowing that we'll come out of it with a great ministry in store for us, Lord. Lord, help us to keep our heads up looking at you, our great and mighty God, compassionate God, and help us to keep our heads up looking for who else can I speak into? Who else is going to go through what I'm going through right now? And how can I speak from, from this platform you've given me? So use your church, God. The church isn't about one or two men from a stage preaching. It's about the entire church making known the gospel and the power and the beauty of our Lord and Savior Christ. So God, thank you. Equip us, move us, and send us. In Jesus' name.